Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by the iconography of Father Thomas J. Loya. Father Loya's iconography for your prayer and home devotion may be obtained by going to MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com That's MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com Then click on the Art and Decorative link and click on Icons in the drop-down box or call 630-629-1720 Morningstar Books and Gifts 28 West St. Charles Street, Lombard, Illinois Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, here once again with Katie Goulis. And we've been walking through the Byzantine ceremony of marriage, the wedding ceremony, in conjunction with the marriage initiative of the Catholic bishops of America, but also, in particular, the marriage initiative of my own bishop, Bishop John Kudrick of the Eparchy of Parma, which, of course, is a suburb of Cleveland. In the Eastern Catholic churches, our dioceses, as it were, are called eparchies, and they generally cover large territories. That's why they're called eparchies. So I am, of course, centered in the Chicago area, but my bishop is in the Cleveland area, which is also my hometown. In fact, our eparchy covers 12 states, the entire Midwest. Some Eastern Catholic churches, the entire United States of America is their only diocese or eparchy. So we have a very, very large diocese or eparchy, large territory, but we're spread out, kind of sparse. Some areas were more concentrated across America, but for the most part, Eastern Catholics are very sparsely divided around and sort of scattered around the United States of America. And so we have these large territories in order to organize our churches. But the marriage initiative includes a kind of a walking through the theology, the spirituality of the Byzantine wedding ceremony. You see, if you want to know what the spirituality, especially of the Eastern churches, whether Orthodox or Catholic, the best thing to do is to immerse yourself into the way that we pray, the way that we worship. In other words, our liturgy, our ritual. We sort of live our liturgy. Our liturgy informs life and life informs liturgy. So if you kind of walk through or unpack, immerse yourself into the deep, comprehensive meaning of all the ritual and the theology and the prayers and the chant that goes along with it, you will have then a good understanding of the Eastern Christian spirituality. We've been doing that with the wedding ceremony. We talked about the prescribed readings, which are from Ephesians chapter 5, and also the gospel reading from John chapter 2, the wedding of Cana. Also included in our ceremony is an exchange of rings and the blessing of the priest. And the position of the priest is very essential in the Eastern ceremonies of marriage. It's not like in the West, where in the West, the couple, in a sense, marries each other. In other words, it, the emphasis is on the contract, the covenant between the two that the church witnesses. We have that element in the East to an extent, but the emphasis, and that's always the key, it's always a matter of emphasis it's not so much a matter of, of dogmatic or theological differences as, as it is emphasis or theological emphasis or expression. So in the East, the emphasis is on 
the blessing of the priest upon this marriage or relationship with the couple because what's happening is the couple is, and here's another important dimension of Eastern spirituality, the couple is having their relationship in a sense transformed, entered into the life of the church and in the life of the Holy Trinity. Now, in the Western church, because covenant and contract agreement is very important and a very important emphasis in marriage, so too are the vows. In the Eastern Church, especially in the Byzantine ritual for marriage, the so-called vows were inserted later on, just in fact in recent centuries, not too long ago. And originally, though, these vows were not part of the ceremony in Eastern churches. So oftentimes they're done in an optional way. Some ceremonies, some priests or churches will do the vows, some will dispense with the vows. They are in the official book of the ceremony in the Byzantine Church, the Byzantine Ruthenian Church to be specific. But their origins are not necessarily from the Byzantine tradition. But nonetheless, they are also implied in a certain way, even before the vows as we know them. They're implied in a, if you want to call it vows, that are done at the beginning of the ceremony where the priest asks the husband and the wife to be, have they come here freely to take each other, to become the husband and wife of each other, according to the mind of the church. See, he says that very specifically, according to the mind of the church. Now, this happens in the engagement ceremony or in the ceremony just prior to the entrance of the couple into the church for the actual marriage ceremony. So, at the very beginning, there is, in a sense, a kind of an exchange of vows, even in the Eastern tradition. Let's listen to the vows as they are written currently in the ceremony for a wedding in the Byzantine church. I, John, take you, Mary, to be my wife, and I promise to love you and to respect you to be always faithful to you, and to never forsake you until death do us part. So help me God, one in the Holy Trinity, and all the saints. And then the bride would say, I, Mary, take you, John, to be my husband, and I promise to love you, to respect you, to give you matrimonial obedience, to be always faithful to you, and never to forsake you until death do us part. So help me God, one in the Holy Trinity, and all the saints. As I mentioned, the vows, as we just heard them, read by Katie Gullis, which are in currently the official translation of the wedding ceremony in the Byzantine church, these vows came in actually from a Western influence. We suspect it happened at a time when our particular church, the Ruthenian church, was heavily influenced by the Polish government and the Polish church at the time. This is all in Central Europe. But if you notice what the vows say, they say something that also needs to be addressed from an Eastern Christian perspective. There's a rather famous line there in the vows that says, until death do us part. Everybody seems to know that. It's very common in many vows in the church in the Western world. But the Eastern church has a little different perspective on that idea of till death do us part, even though it is still in the vows themselves. And to illustrate that, I'm going to have Katie read a little story from a saint that we celebrate. Her name is Saint Macrina. And this little story helps to illustrate the point we're going to make about the Eastern spirituality on marriage as relative to this aspect of the vow. The elder sister of St. Basil the Great and St. Gregory of Nyssa, she was as a girl betrothed to a young nobleman, and when her betrothed died, Macrina vowed never to enter into marriage, saying, It is not right for a girl, having once been betrothed, to turn to another. According to natural law, there must be one marriage, as there are one birth and one death. She justified this by her belief in the resurrection of the dead, regarding her betrothed not as dead but as alive in God. It is a sin and a shame, she said, if the spouse does not keep faith when the partner goes to distant climes. 
Then with her mother Amelia, she became a nun in a monastery of virgins, where she lived in asceticism with the other nuns. They lived by the work of their hands, devoting the greater part of their time to pondering on God, to prayer and to a ceaseless lifting up of their minds to Him. After a time, her mother died, and then her brother Basil. In the ninth month after Basil's death, Gregory came to visit her and found her on her deathbed. At the time of her death, Macrina made this prayer to God, Thou, O Lord, givest rest to our bodies in the sleep of death for a little time. Then thou wilt waken them again with the last trump. Forgive me and grant that when my soul is parted from my body, it may be presented before thee, stainless and without sin, and then it may be as incense before thee. She then made the sign of the cross on her brow, eyes, face, and heart, and breathed her last. She entered into rest in the Lord in 379. Now, you notice in this very beautiful little story of St. Macrina that at the beginning, when she lost her betrothed, she did not marry again. She would not marry again, and she cited the reason why. And this is very significant, especially when it comes to understanding the Eastern spirituality of marriage. We don't really say, till death do us part, at least not in our theology, although it's in the vows, again, borrowed from the West. But we rather we say, our spirituality would say, till death unite us forever. Yes, you see, in a kind of a earthly way, we are separated by death, and the church both East and West, does allow marriage for the second time because of a need for us here on earth. But by and large, the church, and believe it or not, East and West is basically, when we get down to it, East and West, both are of this theology, as it were. And that is that marriage really is supposed to be once and for all. And in the East, we emphasize this eternal dimension. And the reason is, as we heard from Macrina, first of all, when we are married in Christ, and remember, the Byzantine wedding ceremony is about the couple being immersed, united into Christ in the life of the Trinity. Well, God is the God of the living and the dead. In a sense, there's no difference. So if we are united in this world, on this side of eternity, in Christ, so too are we united with him forever in the next life as well. So there's no real separation. And so the person from the Eastern Church would have a sense, as Macrina did, that they were still married to that one person and it would be unthinkable, as was for her, to be married to a second person. Now, again, this is presuming that the marriage was truly a sacramental one, that it lasted, you know, it was a happy one, it was valid, and so on. That, that's the presumption here. But the idea, though, is that with given that valid marriage, that there's only one time because you unite with that person forever. And so what Macrina did was she did something very interesting, which is going to give us another insight into Eastern spirituality as well as the marriage ceremony. And we'll talk about that when we return. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion, and to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Would you like to hear this Light of the East program again? Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya. Or hear Father Loya's companion program, A Body of Truth. Just visit the radio page at byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Or hear it again. Hear it again. Hear it again. Hear it again. For the first time.
watch out. He is showing us his flesh. I am Father Thomas J. Loya with the Theology of the Body moment for Tabor Life Institute. God has taken on our flesh, and during the Feast of the Epiphany, God shows his flesh to the world. In the Western Lung of the Church, God is showing this to the wise men. The Eastern Lung, having just celebrated the circumcision of Christ's flesh, now speaks of Christ's naked flesh during his baptism in the Jordan River. In the East, Epiphany is also called Theophany. So why all this flesh? Because the flesh of Jesus Christ reveals his divinity and the truth about being human. This is the theology of the body. Christ's birth, epiphany, and baptism in the flesh has renewed all creation. And if this is real to us, how do we now see all of creation, especially human body persons? To find out more about the theology of the body, visit TaborLife.org. TaborLife.org. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, and I'm inviting you to Prairie Fest. Enjoy food, live music, and dancing as you tour the award-winning water management and sustainable plan of the church grounds of Annunciation Parish in Homer Glen, Illinois, at our annual Prairie Fest. No admission charge Prairie Fest kicks off at 6, Friday evening, August 13th, with music by the Tinley Park Arts Alive Jazz Band. Then Saturday, August 14th at 2, Prairie Fest, featuring the Vasalo Salo folk dancers and the music of Harvest Moon. On Sunday, August 15th at 11.30 a.m., Polka with Eddie Blazoncek's Versatones. Oh, how I miss you. Then the fabulous Neverly Brothers. That's why I go for that rock and roll music. $5,000 grand prize raffle, church and prairie tour, bingo, square dancing, pizza provided by Nancy Zomokina. Complete info at ByzantineCatholic.com. Prairie Fest, Friday through Sunday, August 13th through the 15th at Annunciation Parish, 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya here with Katie Goulis, and we're moving through the Byzantine wedding ceremony so as to give us an insight into the soul, the spirituality of the Eastern Church. As I mentioned before, it is our ritual, our liturgy, our prayer that unpacks it, who we are, our heart, our soul. We were talking about St. Macrina, who did something rather interesting after her betrothed had died, as you mentioned before the break, that she would not remarry because she believed she was married only once to the same person and even forever because marriage is in Christ and Christ is a God of the living and of the dead. And that's the Eastern perspective. Yes, we do allow second marriages for human need on this earth, but the spirituality, the theology, favors the idea that you're married once and forever because it's in Christ. Well, she did something then that was kind of an outgrowth of that spirituality. She enters the monastery. She does not remarry or just stay single and live in a secular world. She enters the monastery. Now, this is interesting because what this points to, and McCraney even mentioned it in the particular selection that Katie read about her life, she mentions the eschatological, not that word, but the theology of it, the eschatological. In other words, she referred to the resurrection of Christ that as we are all one in Christ because of Christ's resurrection, and we will all be united in Christ as one, this is one reason why she believed she could not remarry. But she went into the monastery then to become, yet though, married again, but in another way, in an eschatological way. Eschatological means the last things, the highest things, the ultimate things. In other words, the things that have to do with our ultimate destiny in heaven. And so she enters an eschatological marriage, as it were, by becoming, as a female monk, 
the bride of Christ. So in this action, she not only is believing that marriage is only once and forever, but she's actually then living the full extension of that by then adopting this eschatological dimension or state of a sort of a spiritual marriage, a sort of a spiritual spousal relationship, not only with her spouse in heaven, but with Jesus Christ himself. And once again, this points to that idea in the Eastern Church where marriage is forever to the one same person. This is why oftentimes when in a case, an unfortunate case of a breakup of a marriage, when a couple wants to or a person wants to remarry, the marriage ceremony oftentimes in the Eastern churches, especially this is the practice in Eastern Orthodox churches, is actually a ceremony that has kind of a penitential tone to it. And in fact, oftentimes as a priest, as an Eastern Catholic priest, whenever I do second marriages, as it were, that are, I guess you could use the word tolerated by the church. When you really get down to it, they're theologically or spiritually tolerated by the church. I know it's kind of a rough word, but I kind of put that in quotes. It's a sort of a theological toleration because the church, down deep inside, as I mentioned, would like the one marriage to be once and for all, forever. Well, whenever there are second marriages as a pastor, oftentimes the couples, well, rightfully so, say, Father, we don't want to make a big deal of this. They almost want it to be semi-private because they had been through it before. And they're oftentimes older and all of that newness, excitement of that being the first bride when you're a young lady is kind of beyond them at that point. And in a sense, they feel themselves that this second marriage is, like St. Paul says, out of human weakness. Not, not to cast it in negative, but the idea that it's better to live virtuously than to burn, as St. Paul says. In other words, if you're living your life better on this earth, if this is going to make you holier, a better version of yourself by being remarried, then the church, of course, says, okay. It prefers that it's once and forever, and that if persons do separate or their spouse dies, the church would prefer, as St. Paul said, that people not remarry. The idea about this is that it's a kind of a posture of vigilance for the coming of Christ and the second coming. In other words, it's like this. Marriage is meant primarily for this life, but when it is over or there's some kind of separation and so on, the idea is that we focus and uh, adopt a kind of a posture of vigilance of Christ in his second coming, you know, the last judgment. He will come again, and we will no longer have marriage as we know it on this earth, but rather it would be more of a heavenly marriage, a marriage that will be not exclusive to one person as it was on earth, but rather we will all be united in that one great spousal mystery. We will all become collectively the bride of the bridegroom Christ. And so St. Paul and the church, when you really get down to the bottom line of the church, underneath it all, The church's message would be, if you're married once, it's best, ideally, to remain as you are for the rest of your life, in a sort of a vigilance, turning your thoughts towards God, just as Macrina did in the passages that Katie read about her life. But again, we're not trying to say you cannot be remarried. The church does allow it, but it's good to understand what the real theology is underneath it all, because it can actually provide a whole new vision of marriage and of a personal spirituality. Maybe some of you listening to this and hearing it for the first time might actually find it rather intriguing or inviting that if you are widowed or a widower, or if you are, your marriage has ended for whatever reason, maybe this is enticing to you or interesting to you to then turn your life towards an eschatological kind of posture or gaze, a kind of a living just to make a gift of self to God, to church, to others, and that sort of almost like posture of waiting for the second coming. 
This is a very valid, a very beautiful and deep way to live. It's one that's not often heard or talked about, especially in our culture, because right away we believe that everyone should have someone all the time. But there is another way, and this way goes all the way back to the time of St. Paul, the early Christians, and still exists today in the deeper understanding of the spirituality of marriage, especially in the Eastern Church. Now we approach one of the crowning moments, pun intended, of the marriage ceremony in the Byzantine Church, and that is the ceremony of the crowning. And in fact, sometimes the Byzantine marriage ceremony is actually called the ceremony of crowning. That's how essential this is. Katie's going to read a couple of passages from this ceremony, where the priest actually takes the crown, takes actual crowns, blesses them, and then says this. The servant of God, John, is crowned in marriage for the servant of God, Mary, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Then the priest places another crown upon the head of the bride, saying, The servant of God, Mary, is crowned in marriage for the servant of God, John, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And then blessing the couple, the priest prays, O Lord our God, crown them with glory and honor. And then the lector would chant before the epistle, You have placed crowns of precious stones upon their heads. They have asked life of you, and you have given it to them. You have given them a blessing forever, and have made them glad with the joy of your presence. Yes, you see the element of crowns, of crowning, repeated in this ceremony. The words from Scripture using the word crown. Father Tom, before we continue talking about the wonderful crowning ceremony, I kind of wanted to butt in because I had a little bit of an insight when we were talking about how marriage is supposed to go on forever and Mm -hmm. the sacramental aspect of it goes on forever. I recently attended a wedding and... For the ceremony, it was a Roman Catholic wedding, the bride wore this beautiful dress. It was gorgeous. And then for the reception, she came out and had a completely different dress on. It was, I would say, maybe like a little more casual, still very beautiful, but it was completely different. So it was almost like she had her church dress that was, you know, very beautiful and elegant. And then she had her party dress, the dress that was easier to dance in. And you were telling me before that, that that's like a, almost like a trend today. Yeah, it's becoming more and more popular um, nowadays for brides to have two different dresses, to have the dress that they can wear in church that's a little bit more modest, and then to have the dress that they can party in. It might be a little bit shorter. They can, they can dance in it. Sometimes it's a little cooler, easier to move around in. Mm-hmm. It's becoming a growing trend for a bride to have more than one dress. <laughs> you know... <laughs> Again, is this uh, kind of the thing you see in those uh, marriage, uh, one of those marriage TV shows or wedding? Yeah, TV? <laughs> um, you'll see it on the show, like "Say Yes to the Dress," where the bride chooses different <laughs> Say dresses. Yes to the dress. <laughs> shows like that. It's just, it's kind of funny. Forgive <laughs> me, maybe because I'm a guy, I'm kind of laughing. Though. Yeah, <laughs> not laughing at it, just it's different for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, what's interesting about that is that this is where we see the significance, the relevance of the. Eastern spirituality and its ceremony. In that ceremony, we talked about this continuity, this integration, where what happens at your wedding continues on through. The spirituality of marriage continues on through. And a bride wearing her wedding dress to the reception is something that expresses that continuity. She doesn't stop being that bride. She doesn't stop bringing that holy, beautiful sacramental spirituality even to the ceremony. That's not like, well, okay, we did this holy thing now, and we sort of compartmentalize that. Now we're going to kick off our shoes and do the secular thing of something like a different person or what happened before doesn't really matter, doesn't connect. Rather, there should be this continuity, this connection. So I think this is a rather unfortunate development in or undevelopment or whatever uh, in the, in this changing of the dresses. And so, again, we present the Eastern spirituality as maybe an alternative 
or some of the thinking of today that might be going astray. We're going to talk more about the crowning ceremony, which is one of the essential moments in the Byzantine wedding ceremony next time. Thanks for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loyal here with Katie Goulis on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support in order to keep Light of the East on the air. You can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Would you like to hear this Light of the East program again? Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya. Or hear Father Loya's companion program, A Body of Truth. Just visit the radio page at ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Or hear it again. Hear it again. For the first time. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois 60491. That's Light of the East 14610 Will Cook Road spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K, Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years. <laughs>